Well, I invite you to uh, turn to our to our passage this morning. It's in your in your bulletin over on page three. Uh, we're returning to the book of Numbers and picking up in chapter twenty-five. You might remember uh, we're seeing the people of God, Israel. And now that we've made this transition from the first generation, they've died off in the wilderness. Now, more and more, the second generation. Uh, just on the border of the promised land, the, the plains of Moab. It's just, just right on the border, but they're not there yet. Uh, and uh, we looked at last couple, couple studies, the attempts of, uh, of uh, the king of Moab to curse Israel, and Balaam was unsuccessful in, uh, in that. And, and here's the very next episode uh, in God's word from Numbers 25. We'll read, read the first 15 verses. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to their sacrifices, to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you, kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose, left the congregation, and took a spear in his hand, and went after the man into the chamber, and pierced both of them, uh, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. And in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. The name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to use your word to show us the greatness and the glory of who you are uh, and what you have done. We pray that we would be transformed uh, by your truth, that through the renewing of our minds, we might more and more offer ourselves up as as living sacrifices before you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> what would it take for the Church of Jesus Christ 
to be renewed, reformed, revitalized in our day. That that the people who bear the name of Christ and the, the individual congregations that name the name of Christ, what would it take Uh, for the Church of Christ to be renewed, revitalized, a new reformation in our day. Could you make a list of what what it might take? Well, here's here's what one theologian added to his list. Uh, Probably, if you pressed him, he would say at the top of the list. He said it would take a passion for God, but, but not just any notion of God, Uh, A Bible-based awareness of the greatness and awesomeness of God. Uh, The greatness and awesomeness of God that would displace all cheap thoughts of God. God is just a useful pal. No, that cheap version of God displaced uh, by a passion for the greatness and the awesomeness uh, of God. And that's what we want to reflect on this morning, the the greatness and the awesomeness of God. Or we could put it like our our title says, God is greater than you think. Greater than you think. Uh, Greater in his holiness. Greater in his justice. But also greater in his saving, redeeming, delivering love. A holy and awesome God. a greater than you think God. And to do that, we're going to look at Numbers 25. Uh, if you if you made a movie version of Numbers 25, it, it, it would definitely get an R rating. Right? You don't, you don't get a lot of Sunday school songs written about Phineas. You know, you got the Daniel and the Lion's Den songs and the Noah songs, but there's there's not many uh, Phineas and the Fornicators songs, uh, you know, in Sunday school. Just don't, you know. Um, I don't know, by the way, I don't know who in the world would name their kid after a guy like this. Um, but to be fair, but to be fair, and put it on the record, uh, Maggie and I are not the only parents in the room who named their kid after someone who impaled someone in the name of the Lord. So just just saying, you know. Um, but Numbers twenty five. It's it's messy. It's messy. Um, but of course, life is messy. Uh, it, it would be great if everything were just as simple as a as a happy Sunday school song. But, but life is rarely as simple and happy and cheerful as a, as a Sunday school song. So if God isn't great in the midst of the ugly mess, then he's really not great enough for our worship uh, or our very lives. But what we'll see is right in the midst of it, we actually do have a God who is greater than you think. Well, we'll break it down into God's great expectations, his great anger, and his great deliverance. So first, his great expectations— uh, so what really should shock us about this passage is, is, the, is the sin of the Israelites, right? You have this people who have been now, we've worked our way through numbers, uh, traveling in the wilderness for 40 years. They've seen again and again the great and awesome deeds of the Lord, how God has provided for them at every point, miraculously water from a rock, manna from heaven, uh, great victories in battle over enemies that would had sought to destroy them. Uh, of course, God's very presence right there at the tabernacle, 
uh, God's glory dwelling among his, among his people. And, and here they are, just steps away from the land uh, that, they, that was promised to their forefathers. And yet, right in the midst of that, we, we, we see God's people struggle badly. So first of all, we can, we can connect ourselves uh, to, to see we're, we're not that much different than Israel. We are those who ourselves have seen the great and mighty deeds of the Lord. Uh, whether you're, you're somewhat new to the faith, uh, or, or, you've, or you've been in church circles for years, you've seen something of the greatness of the Lord. Uh, read stories, whether it's Sunday school songs or, uh, or from the Bible directly, how great and awesome God is. You've no doubt seen it in your own life, how he's cared and provided in the midst of all sorts of difficulties in the wilderness of this world. So we're not much different than the Israelites. Uh, So how do the Israelites and how do we respond to this great uh, God who has cared for us? Well, the Israelites we see here uh, don't do such a great job. Notice how it begins. Uh, It begins with with these Moabite women who come into the Israelite camp. Uh, It begins with this this earthly temptation. Uh, And then it very quickly leads to them outright rejecting the Lord completely. Uh, Right? Uh, Instead of, they end up, instead of worshiping God, they end up uh, worshiping foreign gods, this local deity, Baal of of Peor. Um, You can notice the language that you get in in verse verse 3, where it says, So Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor. Israel yoked himself. Uh, it's a very common uh, ancient image, right? It's an agricultural picture of, of two ca- of cattle, oxen perhaps, uh, being, being yoked together in order, to, in order to plow a field, right? And so that so the ox go in the same direction and it can use all their power and strength. They will be bound together uh, so that they go in the right way, uh, yoked together. And you probably have heard that uh, language in the Bible to describe uh, marriage, that marriage is like two people being, uh, the two become one, and, and the Bible talks about being yoked together in, in marriage. Uh, well, here is, uh, here is, the, here is the, the spiritual marriage, uh, that, that, go, that God's people are called to be yoked to him, right? There, there's God's great expectation, his great calling upon uh, those he made in his image and those he has, he has rescued uh, from Egypt. Uh, that they would be yoked to him, like a, like a spiritual marriage, bound uh, to him. You might think of of the Ten Commandments and how uh, how it lays that out, uh, right? Remember how the, the commandments begin: "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? You shall be yoked to the Lord uh, and have no one else. Right? Bound to to no one else, no other gods." Uh, before me. Uh, and, but what does Israel do here is they, they cast off their connection uh, to the Lord, right? They, they, they break uh, the yoke uh, to, is, to Israel's God, and they go and they run after foreign gods. Uh, there's, they commit physical adultery, messing around with the Moabite women, uh, but it's a picture of their even worse spiritual adultery as they abandon the Lord and bind themselves uh, to, to a foreign god. Uh, it's probably, probably important to notice how one quickly leads to the other. 
uh, how the how the, the the physical earthly temptation and sin quickly leads to a spiritually abandonment, a spiritual abandonment of of the Lord. You get no indication that Israel woke up one morning and and these people said, you know what? I think we should just pick a new god today. That's not how it started. Uh, it, it started with with the earthly temptation, uh, with the, the the physical sin that looked delightful. And after, after falling, getting ensnared in that physical sin, uh, the spiritual abandonment of God quickly followed. The one quickly led to the other. It was a trap. In fact, it was actually a very intentional trap. Uh, we, we read over in chapter 31 of Numbers that this whole scheme was Balaam's idea. Remember Balaam? Right? The one who was hired by the king of Moab to curse Israel. He wasn't able to do it. Uh, so apparently, after that failure to curse them directly, Balaam comes up with this sneak attack on the people of God. This, this trap. Here's how you get them, king of Moab. Uh, send your beautiful young women in. Uh, because if you, can, if you can ensnare them in this, in this earthly temptation, their spiritual commitment will follow. And Israel's God uh, will condemn them. Right? This was Balaam's trap. Uh, and it's, it's, of course, a trap that, that we all need to be, to be aware of, uh, right? Probably uh, it, the, the greatest temptation for you and me uh, is, not, uh, is not to wake up tomorrow morning and say to ourselves, you know, I think I don't want to follow Jesus today. Probably none of us are going to be tempted directly in that way. Uh, but no, uh, Satan's schemes like Balaam before, uh, Satan's schemes is much uh, more uh, sinister. The, the dangling of some, some physical, earthly sin before us, uh, so that if we're ensnared in that, uh, our spiritual commitment can quickly follow in terms of abandoning the Lord. Uh, so can you, can you ask yourself the, the challenging question, uh, what, what earthly thing would, would Satan dangle in front of your eyes that would tempt you, that might ensnare you. It's more dangerous than just you might fall into X earthly sin. That's bad, uh, but but it's dangerous because it's a it's a trap. Uh, get, get ensnared by that, and your spiritual commitments will soon follow. So what would what would Satan dangle in front of your eyes? Maybe maybe like in Numbers, it is sexual temptation of some sort. Or maybe something completely different. Uh, the love of money, uh, the love of achievement, the approval of others, uh, some, some earthly thing uh, that, that, that you be tempted to give your heart to, uh, that your, your spiritual commitment to God uh, would quickly follow, you quickly abandon that and go after another God. You quickly start to yoke yourself to some earthly created God. So it's a, it is a, it is a well, watch out, be aware. Uh, as the New Testament says, these things were written down for us, that we might, we might, be, might be warned. Uh, but you see here God's great expectation, his great calling upon his people uh, to, be, uh, to be number one in our lives, right? To have no other gods uh, before him, that we would be yoked to him and nothing else. Uh, right? God is greater than you think. His, his call upon our lives, not just, not just a, a, a little activity on a Sunday morning, uh, 
not just, uh, oh, read your Bible occasionally, uh, or, or believe a certain, a few things uh, in, your, in your system of values. Uh, those things are good, but God calls for more than that. He calls for us uh, to be yoked to him. He draws us to himself that we might be bound to him and to him alone. Uh, so God's great expectations. Then we need to talk about God's great anger. God's great anger. Here uh, we take our uh, cue and our language from verse 3. There's the sin again. So Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And we, we go on to read that description of what that, what that looks like and the judgment that comes uh, out, of the Lord's, out of the Lord's anger. Uh, God's great anger. There's are, those are two words we, we don't necessarily think of together. Anger being great. Uh, most of us tend to think anger is things is something that is not great at all. And it is true. Usually, uh, usually it isn't. Usually the anger that we think of and experience uh, is, the, is the human anger. And in, in, that, in those senses, there's nothing great about it. Though it might be big, it's not good or great. Uh, usually human anger, almost always... Uh, is 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 quite is ugly and destructive as as someone flies off the handle, uh, someone uh, reacts in a powerfully ugly way, often with the sinister motive of trying to trying to manipulate and control through harsh words and an angry tone. Right, and human anger is is ugly. There's there's nothing good or great about it. Uh, so uh, we're understandably not used to connecting anger being good or being great. Uh, but when it comes to the Lord, uh, well, ang his anger is very different. And not only does it look different, we'll start to see if we had a God who, who didn't have any capacity for anger, he's not actually a God worth following. Follow me there for a minute. Let's uh, first of all talk about how God's anger is very different than our anger. All right, God is, the Bible says, slow to anger. So God never flies off the handle. All right, he's never unreasonable uh, in his anger. In fact, he's, he's slow to anger. We've seen that in Numbers, haven't we? Uh, here is God being so very patient with his people over the course of 40 years who have continually rejected him and how patient he is to provide and care uh, and atone for their sin. Uh, so God not flying off the handle. Uh, also, God's anger is always a righteous anger, uh, whereas human anger is often uh, designed, is, uh, is almost always unrighteous or a manipulation, a control. Uh, God's anger is, is a righteous reaction to the ugliness uh, of sin. Uh, maybe we can start to connect it with, with something more familiar. Imagine how, how you would feel uh, if, if your spouse of 40 years continually committed adultery against you. Uh, right? that, that would probably make you angry. Uh, notice, notice how God uh, speaks, verse 11, of, of his jealousy. In fact, he repeats it several times. Did you catch that language? The jealousy of the Lord. Right? There's, another, there's another relationship, uh, marriage-type term. Uh, jealousy. And again, there's a, like anger, there can be a good jealousy. Uh, a, a jealousy that's appropriate. Uh, a jealousy that without it, we're not sure we would really want that kind of relationship. 
Okay, so again, go to the human relationship. Uh, say, say it's your friend Joe. And Joe's been married to, to Sally for 40 years. Uh, but in that 40 years, Joe recently discovers uh, that, that Sally has been cheating on him in the midst of those 40 years. Of course, you could flip it around. It could be Sally and Joe, but, but you get the idea. Okay, so 40 years, she's been cheating on him. Would you, would you blame Joe if Joe was angry uh, or, or jealous? Okay. You wouldn't. You would understand that he would be jealous for the, the exclusive intimate affections of his wife. Right? After all, that's, that's the vows they took. Right? This, if you're married, this is probably the vow that you took. Here's, here's the language that I vowed to. Will you love her and cherish her and keep yourself only unto her? Exclusive. Right? And so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be wrong uh, for my wife to be jealous for those exclusive affections that I vowed to. It would be right. Uh, and uh, if, that, if that commitment is broken, there is a kind of righteous anger that would make sense. Um, uh, you, it really comes out when you start to flip it around. Uh, say, for example, uh, you're talking to Joe, and Joe having just found out that his wife had been cheating on him for some 40 years, and Joe is not really phased by it at all. Say he's not angry. He doesn't seem to, uh, to be affected by it. In fact, he seems to be quite indifferent. Well, okay. If she comes back, she comes back. You know, I don't really care. Um, no jealousy for those exclusive affections. Uh, no righteous anger. Um, would, would you be, want to be married to someone like that? Who was not jealous for your exclusive affections? Who was kind of indifferent? Eh, whatever. You would you want no part of a relationship like that, no part of a marriage like that, because that's not real love, you'd say, uh, and that's exactly right. And so, in the same way, could marriage, this earthly picture of something much greater, uh, us being yoked not with another human, but but being bound to the Lord, uh, there is a God uh, who who is the the epitome of this, right? God calling His people to Himself. And he is jealous for their exclusive affections. All right? He calls them to have no other gods before, before me. Uh, and so when, when his people go and, and run after other gods that are no gods at all, cheat on him, as it were, uh, you, you understand that there is a, a righteous jealousy in God, even a righteous anger in God. All right? Again, we really, if we think about it, wouldn't want it any other way, uh, right? A spouse who is indifferent, eh, whatever. That, that, that's not a spouse worth having, right? A God who is indifferent uh, to our running after uh, other gods, uh, that is not a God who is great. Uh, that is not a God who is worthy uh, of our worship. But it also means that this is a God who is, is not to be trifled with. Right? And you see that coming out in the, in the, in the anger and the, and the judgment that comes. Right? The wages of sin being death, and this, here's this plague that comes upon the people. Yeah, because sin is really that ugly. Uh, whether it's Israel's sin here uh, or our sin. Uh, as we uh, break away from the Lord with, in little ways and sometimes big ways, turning to, to other gods. God is great.
greater than we think, greater in his anger, greater in his, in his justice and judgment. But at the very same time, he is also greater in his deliverance, in his rescue. And here we, here we come to, to this character, Phineas. Uh, it's against this backdrop of the, the holy and awesome work of God. Uh, and we come to this character, Phineas. Now, we need to understand what we do with this and what we don't do with this. Right? The, the point isn't, um, go be like Phineas. We're, we're not going to hand out spears at the door and say, go and do likewise. That's not the point. And the text encourages that, shows you that, both explicitly and in context. Uh, explicitly, notice that every time Phineas's name comes up, it's not just Phineas, private individual, but Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest. Phineas isn't private Israelite. Phineas is priest. It's from the priestly line. Uh, his work is not just the work of the everyday Christian. Uh, he, his work is that of a priest. He's a, he's a picture of a mediator between God and man and a picture of something so much bigger and so much greater. Uh, and then you start to dive into the details of what's, of what's going on here. Uh, so uh, here, you have, uh, here you have this, uh, this individual Phineas uh, we're, we're told that he is uh, jealous for the Lord, his God. Uh, one thing to notice in context here is how Phineas really is the only one acting, acting uh, completely righteous, uh, at least in this situation. Uh, right? You have all the Israelites, they're, they're, they're messing around with a foreign God. Uh, but even Moses, if you read carefully, Moses doesn't follow God's instructions. Right? So, so even Moses is not being completely righteous here, but the, the righteous individual uh, in this passage is, is, is Phineas. Uh, so he's the righteous individual, and what, is, what does he do? Uh, well, we're told that he's motivated by a, by a jealousy for God. Uh, he's motivated by a, by a hunger, a jealousy for the honor of God. And what does he do? Uh, well, look at verse 13. You get the interpretation. You know what he does physically. He spears the, 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 the two individuals. Uh, but what, what is he actually, what's going on there spiritually? Verse 13 uh, says uh, that he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Made atonement for the people of Israel. What's, what's atonement? First of all, if you, if you know your Bible, you hear atonement, you often, you automatically think, that's what a priest does. A priest makes atonement for the people of God. But then you might know a little bit more that that atonement is the, is the satisfying of God's righteous justice uh, and wrath towards sin. It's the satisfying of that wrath uh, through the death of a representative. Right? Atonement, the satisfying of the righteous wrath of God uh, through the death of a representative. And, and, and that's what is happening here. So God is great in his justice and hatred of sin. Uh, and so here, well, all of Israel, Israel is guilty, but then the, the text focuses in on really the, the worst of the bunch, uh, which is this one, one individual uh, who, is, who is far more brazen in his sin than anybody else, right? Uh, everyone else, they're, uh, they're messing around with these Moabite women and, and, you know, outside the camp. But here's this one individual, we're told, uh, that he walks 
right through the middle of the camp. He walks right in front of the tent of meeting. Right? There's the tabernacle. There's the, the glory presence of God. And there he is with the Moabite woman on his arm, walking right past. Even the people, we're told, are mourning and weeping over the ugliness of sin and the, and the just judgment of God. Everyone's weeping there. And there he is just marching brazenly past uh, toward, uh, toward, his, toward his tent. Right? He's, really, he's really shaking his fist at God. So you have, you have a picture of someone who is, who is really the, uh, the, the, the worst of the bunch. And what does Phineas do? He grabs his spear, he, he pierces the two of them uh, through, and they are killed. And we're told that immediately the plague stops. Immediately the plague stops. Yeah, God explains, because Phineas has made atonement for his people. The wrath of God towards sin is, is turned aside. Uh, justice is satisfied. The wrath of God is turned aside uh, because a representative died. Um, God's justice satisfied. Can you start to see little pictures, big pictures, of something bigger and greater? God's greater plan to work through not just an earthly uh, priest, but the great high priest himself, Jesus. Right? God's great deliverance that we get a little picture of here uh, is, to, is to send his son. So, so if the, if the uh, Israelites running off here with foreign gods are a picture of us in our sin, uh, and the plague is a picture of the, the righteous wrath of God that we deserve, Phineas becomes this picture of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, who is the ultimate priest. Uh, Jesus, who doesn't act as a private individual, uh, but, a, but one who mediates between God and men. Uh, an individual who is righteous. Of course, Jesus is. The epitome of the righteous man. Not just righteous in a particular snapshot of time, but righteous throughout his entire life. Right? Though, he, though Jesus is tempted in every way, just like us, uh, he, not only, he not only resists those, those earthly, sinful uh, things that look so delightful, he resists that, that, that rejection of his heavenly Father at every point. So Jesus is the righteous man. Uh, and the righteous man who makes atonement to turn aside the wrath of God. Right? This is God's mission for him. Uh, only in the case of Jesus, the one who is pierced through is himself. He bears the wrath. Uh, the sin of God's people placed on him, and he's the one who's pierced. Through his hands, through his feet, in his side. Though the, the, the greatest piercing, as we're going to sing in a minute, is that, that justice of God. What, is, what did we read in Isaiah 53? He was pierced for our transgressions. Right, so here we have the, the great priest and the sacrifice that's offered up is himself. Right, God's very plan to rescue us. That he himself bears what we deserve. That he himself uh, takes uh, that, that justice uh, for our sin, that judgment that we deserve, for all our running after false gods and giving into temptation and being ensnared, Jesus takes all that ugliness on his shoulders and he's pierced through. So that we who trust in him, there's, there's no wrath of God left for us. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no judgment left for us. It, through faith in Christ, it's forgiven, loved, uh, blessed, 
new life, transformation. See, it's a, it's a greater deliverance than, than we can ever imagine. This God is greater than we think. Uh, yes, it, it, it's a God who's greater in his, uh, in his expectations of his people and greater in his anger towards sin. Uh, but against that backdrop, you see, he's greater in his love and his, in his salvation. And so, uh, so we're called to, uh, to respond to this great God. Respond really in, in two ways. First and foremost, respond uh, by having faith in this great God. Uh, faith in that true biblical sense of faith. Not just naked belief, but, but casting yourself uh, upon him. Trusting him and him alone. Just like uh, we'll do in the Lord's Supper. Receiving uh, that, that gift. This is, this is the salvation that I need. This is the God I need to trust in. Uh, and the son uh, who I cling to. So we, we respond through faith uh, in this God and, and this salvation. Uh, and then it's also an opportunity for us to, uh, to recommit ourselves to him. Uh, this great God calls us to himself. He cleanses us of sin. He strengthens us through the Spirit so that we, like Phineas, might be zealous for the honor of God. Uh, so that we, uh, like, like Phineas, might see our lives as completely yoked to the Lord. That there's this glorious calling that God has, strengthened by the work of Christ, that we're called to give ourselves only unto him, uh, and indeed to be, to be jealous for the honor of God. Jealous for the honor of God in our own lives, and so we want to we exemplify that and, and, and honor God with who we are and what we do and even what we think, but also jealous for the honor of God in the, in the people around us. We want them to know this salvation. Uh, we want them to know this deliverance and this, this great God, uh, that God might be honored in their lives as well as in ours, all because God is this great, yeah, even greater than we think. Well, let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would, you would strengthen and equip your people, Lord, most of all by showing us the salvation of Jesus afresh. Lord, through your word here, through the supper, we pray that we would, we would see the greatness of his glory and his work, all your, your eternal plan, your great love, uh, that, that cling to it, that we might be renewed, uh, and Lord, uh, live out those who are, who are remade, children of light, uh, jealous for your honor, we pray. All in Jesus' name, amen.